Welcome to You Sound Like a Girl. I'm Colleen, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. And I am Emily Rose, and my pronouns are also she, her, hers. And you are listening to You Sound Like a Girl, a storytelling project that explores and elevates cis and trans women's stories about our voices. We aim to explore the social norms around cis and trans women's voices by investigating what it means to sound like a woman and what it means for women to use our voices. On today's episode, we want to welcome Madison Butler and Emily Weltman to talk about the intersection of women's voices and the internet. Madison Butler, she, her, is a native New Englander who currently resides in Austin, Texas. She is a Black queer woman, and she is also a survivor. She is the founder of Blue-Haired Unicorn, and her work is focused around creating equitable spaces and scalable strategies to achieve psychological safety. Madison is an outspoken advocate for mental health, removing the stigma around trauma, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and the ability to be human at work. She is committed to deconstructing the status quo and rebuilding corporate America one organization at a time by building inclusive teams from the ground up with early stage companies. Her mission is to ensure that no one ever feels like corporate spaces were not made for them and that they can live, work, and exist out loud. Emily Weltman, she, her, is the founder of Collective Flow Consulting, also known as CoFlow Co, a management consultancy providing business development, content strategy, and creative operations to early stage solopreneurs and startups. The Collective is a network of ecosystem builders, designers, educators, creatives, technologists, and strategists shifting brands to think about the people and planet before profit. They partner with mission-driven founders to increase social impact by leading with purpose and by building diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging into everything that they do. Emily is also a member of Catalyst 2030, a grassroots organization that works to achieve the UN Sustainable Development Goals, as well as a member of Women's Funding Network and a signatory of the UN's Women's Empowerment Principles. Together, Emily and Madison co-founded Rage to Rainbows, which launched on Giving Tuesday in November of 2020. This social impact project encourages people to donate instead of engaging with online trolls, turning rage into rainbows by spreading the message, don't hate, donate. So Emily and Madison first connected through LinkedIn, and then Colleen and I connected with the two of them in the same way after seeing posts of theirs that were calling out LinkedIn's silencing of women and femmes, especially women and femmes of color, and especially women and femmes of color talking about racism. So according to a study done in 2018 by Amnesty International, about one quarter of women from eight different countries said that they have experienced online abuse or harassment. And then 40% of those women said that the online abuse made them fear for their physical safety. More than half even said that they had trouble sleeping, experienced loss of self-esteem, and even panic attacks. One-third of these women stopped expressing their opinions online and withdrew from the public conversation altogether. This same Amnesty International study specifically called out Twitter for failing to make the platform a safe place for women to freely express their opinions without fear of violence and abuse. And they launched the hashtag Toxic Twitter. 
Now, we know online silencing of women is prevalent across all social media platforms where women and femmes experience harassment from platform users and then don't receive support from the platforms themselves. In fact, in many cases, platform policies and moderators compound the harm already done by silencing the women themselves instead of their harassers. So now that we understand a little bit more about the intersection of women's voices and the internet, let's hear from Madison and Emily about their experiences as women online. So I just want to say it's, it's very nice to meet both of you. Um, I'm really excited to talk about this topic. And I would love to know a little bit more about Rage to Rainbows and what it does. What's the intent? So I guess for me, because I am so loud on social media, that comes with its own slew of issues. Um, you know, when I post, sometimes I get, I get really great responses. But on the other side, I'm like convinced that LinkedIn markets my posts to people who hate me and no one can convince me otherwise. And so I was getting all of this wild hate and like it was much worse around the George Floyd incident. And whether that's because LinkedIn is LinkedIn or there was an influx of bots or whatever it was. Um, I was getting a lot of hate mail and it was death threats and just really gross stuff. And I was finding myself really consumed by all of it, whether it was because I was engaging because I'm really snarky and I like have to have the last word because that's who I am as a person um, or just like really getting down in the weeds of like the death threats. So I was like, how do I put my energy elsewhere? And I really started thinking about it. And outside of people who are like bots, because they're not real, some of these people were real, which means if you're trying to make my life miserable on the internet, a person you don't know, you're probably making someone else's life miserable in real life. And so how can I impact the people who are stuck with you where I can block you? But if you work with someone who is traumatizing you, you can't block them. There's nothing you can do except leave and quit. And not everyone has the ability to do that. And so I had posted one day last summer on, on a Sunday, and I thought it was like a pretty tame post for me. But I was like, listen, for like every racist comment I get, I'm going to donate to blank organization. For every sexist comment I get, I'm going to donate to blank organization. And I had like seven little boxes. So for me, it was a tame post. And then all of a sudden, it had 200,000 views and a ton of death threats. And I was like, well, shit, now I have to do it. And I had had a bunch of people reach out. They were like, we want to match you. We want to get involved. And Emily was one of those people. Emily and I had never really interacted outside of LinkedIn. And like, I think we had shared a couple messages beforehand, but nothing wildly personal, just really about like anti-racism and like, God, why does everyone suck? Um, which is like still like a pretty big part of all of our messages. <laughs> and then finally, Emily was like, okay, we have to like do this. So like, let's do it. And so then we did it. <laughs> and here we are. But I was already kind of bugging you to try to work with me on something because we have a similar point of view, obviously not the same lived experience. My experience, lived experience is quite disparate. So I was just pushier than other people. Everyone thought it was a great idea. And I was like, yeah, we're doing this. And then we at first was just going to do a spreadsheet, you know, because people were going to match donations. And we both kept donating and sort of it was right before Giving Tuesday. And we were like, we're just going to do it. And so it became like a whole thing in a week. Do you consider it an organization or initiative? We call it a social impact project right now because we have no business designation around it yet. We haven't really figured out what we're going to do with it now. You know, for me, my, my mission and my career and everything I do is because I want to make the world a safer, more enjoyable and radically inclusive space. And for me, there's not a whole lot of ways to hold strangers accountable, but like being able to donate to a mission that I know they fucking hate in their name 
puts the power back in my hands and puts the power back in other marginalized folks' hands. And that's really important to me. Yeah. And I mean, my mission is pretty much the same, like make work not suck. And especially for women and, you know, queer women and women of color and black women and, and anyone that's marginalized in any way. Um, because even as a white woman, I've just experienced so much. And I hate to say it like that. We all have our, our problems, right? There's no like competition and oppression. But what really got me with the internet, especially is like, as I got more vocal, I got more hate. And as she got more vocal, she got more hate, but the hate was so disproportionate. Like, you know, she had people show up at her house threatening to kill her and had to leave her house for a month. And like, I had people saying obnoxious things or even like saying that scary things, and then they were gone. So I think for me, that was another piece of it. You know, it was well-timed with COVID because I think the need for safe spaces isn't just like in the physical office, but really anywhere. Like people say, you just get off the internet then. Like don't, or don't go on Twitter. Like if you're, if you're that uncomfortable, whatever. But it's like, then you're like policing our body and our like right to live. And I still see that on Madison's Twitter every day, <laughs> every day. Well, and it, it's funny that you say that. So I had, um, my mom was in town and we talked about this before. I am not from Texas. Um, so neither are my parents. And my mom came down for my partner's birthday like a month ago. Um, and we wanted to go to Fredericksburg, which is like Napa, California. So like there's tons of wineries and the wineries were great. But then we went downtown because we wanted to eat and we were at this bar and I, the vibe was off. Um, there was like this older white man yelling at the PGA tour and like calling people monkeys that were golfing and calling Tiger Woods, Tigger Woods, obviously, because Tigger rhymes with, you know, and then like basically calling him Black Jesus, which is also still weird in its own right. And obviously, like all eyes were on me. And my mom called my dad. My mom is white. My dad is black, to clarify. And so my mom called my dad and we left and kind of like filled him in on the situation. And he was like, I don't understand why you keep putting yourself in situations like this where people don't like you. Like, why would you go? I know my dad is from a different generation. And as a black man, he doesn't want to put himself in situations that feel unsafe, which he has, he can do that. That's fine with me. I, however, know that if I leave or if I tone myself down because it makes some older white guy uncomfortable, he got exactly what he wanted. Rather than being stuck having to look at my blue haired, loud mouth self in a bar, um, I trust my ability in general to keep myself safe. But I think if I leave every space that I'm not welcomed in, then spaces will continue to be unsafe for other people who look like me. Related to that, what was the response that you all received when you started saying, for every you know sexist post, I'm going to donate, for every racist post, I'm going to, like, I don't know, did it stoke the fires? Or were people like, oh, screw you, and then they left? Or I'm sure it was a different experience for both of you. Like, what was the response to that? I mean, do you mean the response from the people, the haters, basically, as we call them? Yeah. Trolls or harassers. I mean, I get a lot of weird comments, but I had someone who was like, well, I'm going to call my lawyer and like all of these wild things. <laughs> people who told me that like the next time I was in Boston, they were going to make sure that I got killed and like just things that like, I just know you're an unhappy person. I've been there. Hurt people hurt people. They're looking for an excuse to be angry and hateful. They're looking for me to say the sky is blue so that they can say, no, the sky is green. It has very little to do with what I say or my messaging. People who do not like you based on your identity are going to find reasons to torment you because they want to make you feel small. And so I don't think it was actually my messaging as much as people found it like an in to try and be shitty. So as a follow up to that, 
you're kind of bringing up this idea that it's less the content and more about who you are. And we do hear a lot about algorithms and how algorithms um, obviously are programmed by humans um, and different platforms use them differently, um, especially when it comes to censorship. Um, some things that violate community guidelines, you can report, 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 and nothing seems to happen. And then other things that might not violate, or you might not think they violate community guidelines as someone with common sense suddenly gets taken down and there's no real transparency. It's like, okay, how did this violate some guidelines? So I would love to know a little bit more about your all's interaction with, let's take LinkedIn as an example, since that's how we all connected as a platform. Like what has your experience been trying to report any of this behavior to the platform itself or seeing certain content does, like I think earlier you were saying, Madison, like I think LinkedIn serves my content specifically to people who will harass me. So I guess I'd love to hear more about like how you think LinkedIn works uh, specifically to target women and especially women of color, black women, people talking about race, et cetera. I've had such a weird experience with LinkedIn um, because LinkedIn like shadow bans me constantly, but also has me on their list of black voices to amplify, which is incredibly performative. Um, and so it's funny, like once they put me on that stupid ass list, my engagement went way down. And now like people tell me all the time, they think I'm not posting because they have to go search for my content. Yeah. I don't see your stuff anymore. And I mean, we're, we're co-founders on Rage to Rainbows on that platform and share a page. So the fact that I don't see your stuff anymore unless I seek it out, they don't get served to me. And, you know, I think for me, the final, the final straw was in, oh God, it was September of last year. It was right around my birthday. Um, I had this wild woman um, named Yvonne and she's lovely. Um, but I am really known for like, if you talk shit to me and you say some wild racist shit on my LinkedIn, like you're going to make it to Twitter. And I don't feel bad about it because that's how the internet works. Despite how people who are not in our generation feel about screenshots, they think they're illegal and they are not. Um, and so I had screenshot this thing about from Yvonne, who was like, Jacob Blake deserved to be shot in the back and all of this wild nonsense. It was like a month beforehand. I let it go. I didn't even think about it. And then I got this weird DM in my Twitter um, from her 16-year-old son who was like giving me violent threats. And I was like, listen, I can't engage with a minor. Um, I'm good. And I just let it go. And then Yvonne kept going. She found this like random website that I've never heard of and wrote review after review after review after review of me um, saying I had interviewed her and I wouldn't hire her because she was white. Mind you, she lived in Ohio. I've never worked in Ohio. I don't work for a company that has a location in Ohio. And it became this whole thing. I had to serve her a cease and desist. And so when she got served her cease and desist, um, that wasn't enough. She had to find the queen of Karens to go amplify her voice. And she found this woman who is an alt-right influencer with 100,000 followers on YouTube. And this person spent no less than six hours digging through all of my stuff and made a 45-minute presentation of my content to her 100,000 followers who were Nazis. And she used all of my LinkedIn content. And that's when I started getting the like really gross death threats. I had someone show up at my house and I went to LinkedIn and I was like, listen, this woman who parades as an organizational psychologist on your website is doing this on YouTube and she's using your platform as a trampoline to essentially incite violence. <laughs> and LinkedIn was like, there's nothing we can do. <laughs> Sorry about that. And I was like, I'm getting literal death threats because someone is using my content, which you have deemed to be okay and 
within community guidelines to essentially hope that someone gets me killed and there's nothing you can do. And that influencer, she was really good about it where she kept saying, no, no, I don't want you to go hurt her. Make sure you don't go hurt her because she was relieving herself of any kind of situation if I were to end up dead. However, it was very apparent what she was doing. And she did it for days without a response from me. She tweeted about me constantly. I made a new Twitter, got a new handle. She immediately found it, immediately tweeted it to all her followers. And so for me, that felt like the last straw with LinkedIn is like, you told me you wanted to amplify my voice, but not enough that you want to keep me alive. And that's a problem for me. I mean, and then one of those people showed up at your house. So then you left for a month. Because what do you do when two white supremacists show up at your house, right? Um, But the AI piece is definitely really interesting because I wasn't using social media as much until we were like in lockdown. (laughs) I wasn't on Twitter before this year and now I, you know, use it too much. But I'll say that like I've done a lot of anecdotal research and yeah, the, the AI on LinkedIn and Twitter are sexist and racist, period. And the guidelines, community guidelines for, for that plus Instagram. And I mean, I don't, I'm not on Facebook, but they're vague for a reason so that they can um, kind of cover their butts and kick off who they want. But like the amount of times that I've reported things and it comes back as like not harmful. And I take, you know, I screenshot a lot of stuff. Like I could fill a book about it and it's really it's really disturbing. I mean, and I, it's not just me. I mean, Madison and, and a lot of people we follow, there are people that have gotten deplatformed and kicked off because they've said, like, I always joke, I'm like, it's so funny that like Madison's like, her message is don't be racist, but then they're all racist. And then they say like the most egregious things. And if you report it, it comes back as this does not violate our guidelines. And it's almost like, to me, it becomes very much like the Me Too movement, like the victims speaking up and you're still not believing them and you're constantly dismissing what they're saying, like denying their reality. And then you're like, well, do I speak up again? And it's hard because I, you know, I've, I advocate for like these platforms to change, right? And I think LinkedIn is no exception. You know, we kind of joke like one day we're, they're going to kick everyone off that speaks up, right? It's just a matter of time. And Ma- Madison, you got, you got kicked off for like two days, right? With no explanation? It's because they needed me to remove my pronouns from my name because they're not part of my name. Oh, fuck that. (laughs) Right. And then they added them later, right in the summer. They're like, and now you can put your pronouns in your name with like a marketing thing. Yep. I love that. I love it. So much fun. Wow. Yeah. I harass LinkedIn on Twitter until they take comments down when they tell me the comments I reported don't go against community standards. It usually works. That's actually my my follow-up question is like, what, I guess, what strategies have you developed for advocating for these changes? It sounds like, you know, harassing LinkedIn on Twitter. I, I totally support that. Are there any other avenues that like you have experienced to try and quote unquote fix, fix the algorithm? Yeah. Hire women and people of color in tech, full stop. Like that is become more and more what I'm trying to do and advocate for and and because it's so clear that the people running the bigger tech companies do not care about uh, marginalized voices. They do not care about keeping women safe. They do not care about keeping America safe. They don't care about keeping anybody safe, but white guys. And so for me, I'm like, build new platforms, go, you know, as soon as I can, I'm going to bounce off these platforms if there's other alternatives. Like, but I think one of the things Madison and I did, and it's on our website, is we made a pledge. Again, remember, we, we threw this together. I mean, it's not thrown together. It was thoughtful. But 
we made the pledge because it, it can't just be about money. Not everybody can just donate every time somebody's attacking them. And so I think the pledge is also like a good place to start. There's just other things you can do that will make you feel empowered instead of like, you know, like Matt said, take the power back. Yeah. Um. To your point about hiring women in tech, hiring people of color in tech, um, a woman just today was posting on LinkedIn. Her name is Catherine Finney. She posted something I thought was so smart is that she was identifying like libertarianism as really the core of tech founders. Like the tech industry was really born from people who were like, yeah, I should be able to do whatever I want and innovation. And like, that's how we'll save the world or like move things forward. And, you know, I work for an organization where we're really trying to expose students in New York City at underserved high schools, under-resourced high schools, getting them tech education. And the goal is like, we want these students to have access to the wealth that comes with working in the tech industry or that can come. But that means we're also preparing them to go into an industry that just by its nature doesn't want them and isn't inviting to them and will make their lives hell in many ways or can. So yeah, I guess I'd love to hear more from both of you, Madison, if you have thoughts on like more women in tech, more people of color in tech, how can that help this situation? Or like, what else do we need to get from these tech companies? How do they have to move toward us or toward marginalized groups in order for those groups to succeed? And I want to be also just, this is Emily, I just want to be explicit we need more black women in tech, full stop. I mean, and in VC and all of that, like that, the numbers there are horrendous. And, you know, if you look at things from an intersectional lens, right, like we're never equal until everybody's equal. So even if you put more women in tech and you don't put black women in tech, we're never going to get there. And if you have to center the people that are most at risk for harm, obviously we just talked about that. It's Madison versus me. Like, so we have to make sure that that's happening because at the big companies, like all they're doing is putting out statements or donating a little bit of money here or there to kind of quiet their um, things, but they're still making toxic work culture. So for me, as a black woman who is tech adjacent, I agree. We do need more black women in tech. We need more queer folks in tech. However, not at the expense of their well-being or their mental health or their livelihood. And so for me, all of this responsibility sits on organizations to create spaces that are radically inclusive. And you thought about me before I got here. Because the problem with so many of these companies is they're like, yes, we want black people, we want brown people, and we just like shuffle them in. Um, but we never take the time to curate an organization that truly is made for people who look like me, where I can thrive and feel safe and be promoted and have a career that excels. And so instead you end up with companies that say they love black folks and they really want black folks and they put it on their career page and they slap the stock photo up there. Um, and instead I'm code switching all day. I'm changing my voice. So I sound like this and I'm straightening my hair and I want to make sure I step, I look like I stepped out of a J crew catalog and every day I'm two people. And so, yes, black women need to be in tech, but again, they don't need to be two people in tech. They need to get to show up in all of their blackness whatever that means to them and be able to exist safely. And that's the same for queer folks. That's the same for brown folks. The same for people with disabilities. Like Yes. And everyone should be able to exist out loud and safely and be allowed to take up the space they need to thrive. Full stop. Yes. I concur. That's why I left 
corporate America. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. That's why Madison and I bonded because to Madison's point, like the spaces aren't safe, right? For, for anyone except for white men in these bigger companies. And what we've seen is that they're not going to be right. Like unless they really, really, really start from the beginning and they're not willing to do that. So Madison and I both say it's like, you know, we're both really into startups because we want to build from the ground up. And I think both of us are trying to do that because we know that you, you have to embed it into the culture at the beginning. I looked at something today. It was like the World Economics Forum's Diversity and Inclusion 4.0 Toolkit. And it was like the three things you should do. And one of them was about hiring. And, you know, they didn't say, but like basically decolonizing your your hiring practices. But they didn't talk about making psychological safety, which is what we need so that people can show up. And if you don't, then they're just going to get like, you know, like Madison said, great point. Like they're just going to come in and get harmed. So you have to make a culture where people can speak up without feeling like they're going to get retaliated against like at Google and Salesforce just did. And I mean, all of the companies, none of them have gone back on their, you know, like they've just doubled down and Basecamp recently, right? Like they did it too. And like, luckily their employees were like, you know what, enough of this, which is, which was actually really impressive, but also a privileged, a privileged place to be when you've worked in a tech company and you know, you're a dude. I was going to say that most of the exits have been like straight white dudes. Um. <laughs> oh, for sure. They think they can just get away with being like, we don't care, you know, and they do. They get away. They're just getting more money. We're getting less. And that's kind of what this woman, Catherine Finney, that I was talking about who wrote this piece, that's kind of what she was referencing, like, you know, the base camp situation, like these people who can release a statement that's like, listen, all of this social justice infiltrating our work environment, like it's not productive and we're not going to have it anymore. It's my company and I can do what I want. Like that is not the outlier. That is the kernel at the heart of the tech industry. And clearly the People who make up a company and then make decisions about the product, that team of people and whether it's diverse and whether it includes different perspectives has an effect on the people who then use that product. If the people who are creating the community guidelines had more power and it were a diverse group of people, the product probably wouldn't be set up in a way to systematically disadvantage women, especially Black women, any any marginalized community. I do want to be mindful of time. Madison, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you're like dying to talk about before you peel off? No, I think for me, it's always the same ending for me is I want people to take away from every conversation they ever have with me is that this is a journey and you're going to mess up. Um, whether you're trying to take up space or you're trying to allow others to take space, there is no end game here. There is no like ascension to this where you finally like won the prize and you don't stop learning. And so I encourage people to not let their egos get in the way of their journey. It sucks to mess up and it sucks to feel embarrassed and it sucks to say, I'm sorry. But all of that is so important to how you learn and how you travel this journey. And regardless of where you are, you deserve to take up space and you deserve to be here and don't let any weird tech bro tell you otherwise. Amen. Amazing. Um, all right. I guess on that, Emily, is there anything that we didn't ask you that you're like really dying to, to talk about? 
definitely would love people to go to the website and check it out, ragetorainbows.com, which is with the number two. You know, we're still tracking donations. So we aren't collecting money. We just track, we, we have recommendations of where you can donate. So if somebody is being, you know, really terrible or you see something online, which is pretty much every day, all day, there's some kind of hate speech online that you can donate for. Um, I would encourage people to do that just because it's a great way to increase our impact. Like this year, like we posted a little bit and have raised over a thousand dollars, I think closer to like 1500. So, you know, it's not huge, but it's something. And I got really excited when I checked it and hadn't checked it in like a month and, you know, people were still donating. So that's great. But uh, there's tons of really good resources. And you had asked about AI and bias in tech. And there's a ton of resources on Rage Rainbows on just different toolkits for ethical tech and articles about a lot of that stuff. So if you're somebody that's interested in that, learning more about it, we house the whole library on the website. Amazing. Thank you. So the final segment of each episode is that we ask um, both the hosts and our guests to share with our listeners a voice that they have appreciated or enjoyed um, with our listeners. And Madison, I want to give you a chance to offer up the woman's voice that you have been excited about lately. So I think for me, it's hard to come up with one singular woman's voice that I love. However, I will say, and this is just like every day, I'm like amazed by Arlen Hamilton and all that she does on a daily basis, um, not only for Black women, but queer folks and just the story that she has to be where she is and still be as humble and down to earth as she is, I think is incredibly empowering. And it's just like mind blowing to me that I've ever been and like, anytime she's ever retweeted me, I've like died. So. Oh, <laughs> amen. Madison, can you tell us, uh, give us an overview of her for listeners who don't know her? Yeah. So Arlen Hamilton is a venture capitalist who invests solely in brown, black, and queer voices um, and recently allowed the public to invest in her, which is really rad. Um, But she has backed some really cool companies and she just has a story that's incredibly empowering and it's not it's not for me to tell, but she does have a really great book called It's About Damn Time. So if you're looking for a new read, I'd I'd encourage you to buy it. This was not sponsored, I promise. Did you invest? I did. Me too. Only a little though, because I'm, I'm not a gambler. Oh, me too. Like 0.01%. <laughs> she, uh, she crowdfunded on, you know, like a new new crowdfunding campaign where you can do like much bigger crowdfunding raises and um, raised a million dollars in like five seconds. And then like within two weeks, I think the guidelines were changing that you could raise up to $5 million from non-credited investors. And that also took like I think less than a day yeah Arlen's awesome that is spectacular that is a great recommendation (laughs) um Emily do you have a voice that you would like to recommend to our listeners again it is hard to do just one um something that I have said for years is you know really listen and believe women listen to black women so if you go on my LinkedIn you'll see today I even like tagged 10 women that are amazing you should listen to what I was really excited about today specifically is this uh, woman, Sinyi, um, that I also met on LinkedIn, is about to graduate, I think, in like a week from college and doing DEI work uh, and is really awesome at just being very fearless in the face of all of this establishment. And I, it's really refreshing to me and a reminder that like, 
we can push back harder than we have been, at least for me, than I have been like, you know, saying like, why do we have to do things that way? It, you know, I think when you're my age and I'm a Gen X, like it, you can get a little jaded. So I really am inspired by just the idea that you can just blow the system up because it's really bad and it's not working for us or most of the world. Amazing. I agree. I totally take a lot of hope in Gen Z. Not that it's only Gen Z's responsibility to fix things. It's definitely all of ours, but I feel like they are really leading the way in an exciting way. So I feel good about that. <laughs> um, Emily Rose, who, who would you like to recommend? My recommendation is especially relevant this week. So I'm recommending Sonia Renee Taylor. She wrote The Body is Not an Apology. And um, I bring this up for a couple of reasons. So first reason is The Body is Not an Apology is it's about radical self-love and especially being able to love yourself in a larger body. And May was Fat Liberation Month. So I think this is a perfect time to shout her out. And also she left Instagram this week because in her words, it's racist. Totally agree. And um, she isn't going to put up with it. You know, she was like, I'll still lurk on here. Um, you know, I might post from time to time, but I am not going to expend my energy in this environment. And I wonder if we will see more of that. I don't think it's going to negatively impact her life, her business, any of that. So good for her finding ways to kind of escape that system. So shout out to Sonia Renee Taylor. She's awesome. If you haven't heard of her, check her out. Fantastic. Great recommendation. I'm going to recommend to our listeners someone I literally learned about today. Her name is Amanda Montel. She is a writer and a linguist. She has written a book called Word Slut, A Feminist Guide to Taking Back the English Language, which admittedly I have not read yet because I just learned about her today. So I, I can't necessarily like endorse the book, but what I have read of hers, which are some essays and articles, I very much enjoy, which leads me to believe I would enjoy the book. But she is basically analyzing what are often like feminized parts of language, the use of like. Uh, vocal fry, up speak, that type of a thing, and unpacking why there are so many negative connotations to those types of speech patterns and, you know, how gender is associated with it and why it is policed so often. And she particularly had one essay on time.com called why saying like a lot is like actually a good thing, which I very much uh, loved. And yeah, and I just really enjoy the way that she is both attacking this from a very academic standpoint. Um, she breaks down the like six different uses of the word like that we now have in 2021, which is super interesting. And the usefulness of each different type of the word like, and how it doesn't mean that you are dumb or a valley girl. It just means that language freaking evolves. And you know who's at the forefront of that evolution? Young women. So definitely go check out Amanda Montel. Really have enjoyed reading her essays recently. And Colleen, to bring this back to our life, doing You Sound Like a Girl as a show in the real world, um, Amanda Montel was on the Vocal Fries podcast, which is all about linguistic discrimination. It is two women linguists, um, and we had wanted to kind of do a crossover with them. And she, Amanda Montel, breaks down exactly what you were talking about, like the six different meanings of like. It is 
so it's so delightful yet we police it as if it is this horrible thing to be cut out of your life yep really very interesting read i will definitely be buying the book and i suspect on the theme of our episode i suspect that with a title like word slut i bet that amanda montel has a really hard time with search engines and being able to market her book on places like facebook and Instagram, which I guess is one and the same at this point. So full circle. And Madison and Emily, this was an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. It has been lovely to have you on the podcast. Yeah, it's been a fantastic conversation. Awesome. Thank you so much uh, for having us. It was really lovely to meet both of you and get to talk about this project. We haven't talked about it to anybody in a little bit, so it was really nice to bring it back. Thanks for letting us, you know blow up the system a little bit on your podcast. I appreciate y'all. Yeah. Drop some F-bomb. That too. Always. <laughs> thank you. Bye y'all. I also want to extend a big thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. Our co-hosts are me, Colleen Hughes. And me, Emily Rose Pratz. I also edit our audio and our researcher is Rachel Levins. Our music is Nice Girl, written and recorded by Reverend Yolanda. And again, a huge thank you to our guests, Madison and Emily. You can find out more about Madison by visiting www.bluehairedunicorn.com. And you can find out more about Emily by visiting coflowco.com. You can also learn about Rage to Rainbows at www.rage2rainbows.com. That is rage, the number two, rainbows.com. And as always, you can find You Sound Like a Girl at yousoundlikeagirl.com. You can shoot us an email at yousoundlikeagirl at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at yousoundlikeagirl. Catch you next time. Bye.